Well, as we get uh, started this morning, we are in a brand new series uh, for the next couple of weeks called Reset. And so if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and open it up to Mark chapter 8. Uh, if you have your smartphone, you can uh, turn on your Bible and open up the YouVersion Bible app if you want. If you uh, click on events or click on more and then events, you'll find Ridge Church. It should pop up right there for you. And you actually get all of today's uh, notes and uh, scripture uh, in your YouVersion Bible app. If you don't have the YouVersion Bible app, just search Bible and it should be the first one that comes up uh, in your app store and it's absolutely free. We use it every single week uh, here at Ridge Church. And so as you're uh, turning there and getting ready for that, I want to uh, take care of a little family business. Uh, one of the things that is a distinctive for us here at Ridge Church is that we are an elder-led church. And so what that means is, is that even though I'm the lead pastor here, uh, I am not the sole decision maker uh, here at the church. And so by elder led, what that means is that we are plurality of leaders and elders uh, amongst our church. And so uh, there's other men in our church that have the, uh, the official title, if you will, of, of elder. And so they help lead and govern the church. And, uh, and so everything really flows through them and through us together. And so coming up here in just a couple of weeks, uh, we're going to be uh, ordaining some new elders here at the Ridge. And I want to introduce them to you uh, and give you an opportunity to get to know who they are. As well, I uh, want to give you an opportunity, as, as we do uh, each time that we bring on some new elders here at Ridge Church, give you an opportunity uh, to let us know if we've missed anything in their character uh, that we don't know about. And so that's really important. We want men of, of upstanding character, men who uh, serve their families well, men who are willing to lay down their lives for their families, because if they can't lay down their lives for their families, they certainly won't lay their life down for the church. And so um, all of those things uh, are, are really important to us. And so I want to introduce uh, to you and uh, put some pictures up here on the screen as well. We've got some of them in here, and so we'll have them stand up uh, as well. But uh, the first elder uh, that's going to be coming on board is Larry Pemberton. Some of you guys know Larry and uh, wife Lisa. They are, yeah, you can clap. That's, that's all right. We're excited to have Larry and Lisa, uh, or Larry come on board as an elder, and of course Lisa and their family, uh, that's their granddaughter in the picture there, and so uh, excited to have them. You s uh, often see Larry and Lisa out in the hallways there greeting you as you come in a lot of, of, a lot of weeks. Uh, next we, up we have, uh, who do we have next? Uh, Niels and Chelsea, Stenvig, yeah, and uh, they're pups and Emma, and so uh, we're excited to have them as well. They were in the first service today. Uh, as well. And if you're in elementary uh, uh, worship, they are down there uh, leading as actors a lot of times too. They do a pretty good job, don't they kids? They do a good job? Yeah? Yeah? Okay, there we have one. Yeah. All right. So I'm glad they're not in here. So anyway, uh, we're excited to have Nils come on as an elder. Uh, really pumped about that. Uh, also, we've got two more. Uh, we have Drew Davis. You guys know Drew. Drew and uh, wife Stacy and their son Jad is right there. Bowen's downstairs right now. You guys know Drew, He's, he helps lead worship here, and we're excited to have him uh, step on board with us as well. And then we have one more, uh, Jacob Farler. Uh, they're not here. They're actually moving this week, so they're, they're moving, uh, moving homes, and so they're not here this week. But Jacob and wife Holly and their two children, uh, Jacob has actually served uh, with us as an elder here before, uh, before they moved away, but they've, they've moved back to the area, and so they're back with us now and uh, excited to serve with us as well. So here's the deal. Here's what I need from you. You guys have an opportunity uh, to let us know. Maybe we've missed something in their character. Maybe we've missed something uh, in, maybe you know something that we don't know. But here, let me, let me say this, because this is really, really important. This is not a popularity contest. You don't just get to cast your vote and be like, I don't like that guy. 
Well, you know, that doesn't happen, all right? So that's, that's, that's not the way that we do this. But if we've missed something, you have an opportunity uh, as attenders and, and members here at Ridge Church to let us know that. And so if you email me, bobby at ridgechurch.cc, you can disclose some of that information to me. And uh, Drew is really, he's really nervous about this. And so uh, please, by all means, he's, he's really not. And we feel pretty confident about it as well. So otherwise we wouldn't have um, had these guys come on board. And so, but we have two weeks to be able to do that. They will roll on officially September the 1st. Is that cool? Are we excited about that? Yeah, I am. And if you don't know any of these guys yet, uh, you should get to know them because they are, uh, they are great, great, great people. And we're excited to have them. Uh, a part of our church. And so one of the things that is uh, something that we say very often around here is a little simple statement. And, and the reason why we say this is because it's really our mission. It's why we exist as a church. And so we've sort of put it into a, a really memorable, easy to remember uh, sentence. And so we say it like this, is that we say we exist to help others follow Jesus. And so our church, this, this place right here, you and me together who make up the church, the reason why we gather here today, the reason why we gather every week is to help people follow Jesus. This is our mission, if you will. And so what, what, what does that mean? Let me just sort of give you some quick details as to what that means exactly. Our desire, my desire as your lead pastor, and as one of the pastors and elders here at the church, my desire for each and every person that comes through these doors every single week is twofold. And the first thing is this, is that we want you to be a lifelong follower of Jesus. Like that's my, my, that's my heart and desire for you. Even if you've, you've come in here today and you're not really sure, you know, you know, how this Jesus thing works or who Jesus is or whether or not you're a follower or not, like, like regardless of how you come in here or whether you've come in here as a 20, 30 plus year follower of Christ, we believe and want, and our desire is that you will be a lifelong follower of Jesus. That's the first thing. And the second thing is this, is not only will you be a lifelong follower of Jesus, that you will also be a lifelong multiplier of Jesus' followers. Because here's what I know to be true is that if you are a sold-out, absolutely committed, submitted, and sacrificing follower of Christ, here's what I know will come out of you, is that you will also be a multiplier of Christ's followers. Because this is what Jesus said. Jesus said, go and make disciples. It's, that was his command to us. It's not a suggestion. It's not an option. It's not a if you feel like it kind of thing. He said, go and make disciples and teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. That's what he, that's what he told us. And so we'll, we'll talk about that a, a little more in depth next week and a little bit today. But our job, our job as elders, as ministry leaders, and all of our ministries here and efforts at Ridge Church they center around helping you and I take our next step in following Jesus, no matter where you are in the journey. Because here's the other thing that I know to be true, is that no matter how little or how long you've been following Christ, we all have a next step to take. We all have a place that in our relationship with Jesus that we can grow, a place that we can uh, take a, a next level to, if, if you will. And again, if you, because here's the thing, if you think 
that you've done all that you can do and that you've grown all that you can grow and that you know all that you know about Jesus, who he is, and all of those things, then you've stopped growing. You've stopped growing. We all have a next step to take. From asking Christ to save us all the way to the seasoned, mature believer, even if you have some experience under your belt, we still have something to learn. We still have a next step to take. Every believer, every believer has a next step to take. And it's because we are being sanctified. We are not yet made holy, but we are becoming more and more like the image of Christ. We, God is making us holy, but he has not made you holy yet. You are not holy. Anybody in here feel holy? Okay, I didn't think so. Me neither. And so, like, we're not there yet. You're not there yet. I'm not there yet. And we will not be there until the day of Christ, until he comes back for us or he calls us home. That's when that process is made complete. And so we're not there yet. And so for the next three weeks, we're going to talk about the church and why we do what we do around here. And, and more importantly, here's the important part, how we actually engage in this together. It's really important because it doesn't make a whole lot of sense if, if you can't define why you're even here. And so we want to help make that a little more clear and a little more uh, understandable for each one of us. And so here's what I want to do in, in the next few minutes. Two things. Number one is I want to show you what pursuing Jesus with all of our heart and loving him, completely submitted to him, I want to show us what that looks like according to the scriptures and then how we as a church are helping each of us get there and how we continue, how we want to continue to help you grow in your faith, okay? So Mark chapter 8, uh, starting in verse 27 is where we're going to get started. But before uh, we do that, I want to uh, do a little deconstruction for you here just really quick. Because when I preach a lot of times, this is the way that I kind of look at preaching, is I look at it like this, is that we've got to do some deconstruction and then we've got to do some reconstruction. So oftentimes, we have to sort of deconstruct a little bit about the way that we think about Christ, about the way that, because what, uh, what happens a lot of times, and for many of us is this, is that we try to look at the gospel and we try to look at Jesus through the lens of our American culture. And oftentimes, it distorts who Jesus really is, and it distorts what a calling to be a follower of Christ really is. And so each and every week, regardless of what we're teaching on, regardless of what scripture that we're coming out of, a lot of times that we just, we sort of have to deconstruct those things so that we can reconstruct it with a biblical gospel worldview. So let's, let me read this to you. It's a quote uh, from a guy named David Platt in his book, Radical. He says this. He says, we American Christians have a way of taking the Jesus of the Bible and twisting him into a version of Jesus that we are more comfortable with. A nice, middle-class American Jesus. A Jesus who doesn't mind materialism and would never call us to give away everything that we have. A Jesus who is fine with nominal devotion that does not infringe on our comforts. A Jesus who wants us to be balanced, who wants us to avoid dangerous extremes, and who, for that matter, wants us to avoid danger altogether. A Jesus who brings comfort and prosperity to us as we live out our Christian spin on the American dream. Now, as we read that, as you hear that, like some of us, we, we, we think about that and we're just like, yeah, that's right. And then we start to really think about it and we go, whoa, 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 wait, wait a minute, that kind of hurts a little bit. 
Are you trying to tell me that Jesus doesn't want us to live, a, live out a balanced life? Like, I thought he wanted us to be happy and, and be joyful, and, and he wants good things for us. Why wouldn't he want us to be balanced? Because balance, like, everybody tells us that we should be balanced, that life should be balanced. Eat a balanced diet, live a balanced life. Like, like everything should be in balance. I mean, we watch Star Wars, and the Force is all about balance, right? Like, everything says balance. If you read the Gospels, if you read the Scriptures and open up the Bible and just read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and read about, about the life of Jesus, do you know what you don't find? Balance. There's nothing balanced about what Jesus actually calls us believers to. Because this is what Jesus says. He says, if you want to follow me, you're going to have to die to self. Not only are you going to have to die to self, you're going to have to deny yourself. And not only are you going to have to deny yourself, but you're going to have to follow me, and it may lead to death. It may lead to discomfort. It may lead you to having to give up the American dream to follow my dream for you. And so when we put it into that context and we start thinking about balance like that, like some of us think about that and we're like, mm, I don't like that Jesus. I like my American Jesus. He's better. Right? Because we like our comforts. Here's what I believe that the greatest threat to, to Christianity in America is. It's comfort. It's comfort. Because we love to be, I, listen, I love to be comfortable. I'm uncomfortable telling you about comfort right now. I love my comforts. We all love to be comfortable. But yet, Jesus says, no, 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 no. There is no balance. Like, it's actually extreme. And so what Jesus really says to us is he says, listen, it's all or nothing. I was reading a study the other day, and it was talking about how in America, like, average church attendance is declining, you know, like, overall as a whole, and, um, like, I was listening to somebody talk about that, and they were saying how upset about that that they were, and, and, and then, you know, I thought about it, and I was like, yeah, but think about it like this, like, I think, like, here's, is that there are more and more people saying the things that Jesus said when Jesus said, hey, it's not about balance, it's about all or nothing, and people are going, all right, nothing. I'm out. Now, I don't know if that's a bad thing or a good thing. I just know it's a thing. But we have to look at what the reality of what Christ says is. And so let's look at this. Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 27. Jesus has been, uh, he's been on this tear of ministry. Like, uh, so much has happened over the last couple of days. He's fed 4,000 people. He's cast out a, a, a demon. He's healed a blind man and uh, and now he, he's just like so much is just going on. So much is happening. The 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 region is just a buzz with with the talk of what Jesus has been doing. And so Jesus is walking along with his disciples, and he's just kind of palling around with them and having a conversation with them. And so listen to what he says. He says this. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, "Who do people say that I am?" And so he asked his disciples, he's like, hey, 
you know, what's the word on the, on the street out there? And by street, I mean like the dirt roads, you know, that you know, are in between the towns and villages, right? He says, he's like, what's, what's the word on the street out there about me? Like, what are people saying? What are people talking? Who, who do they think that I am? And this is what some of his disciples say. They say this. They said, well, some say that you're John the Baptist, and others say Elijah. You remember Elijah from the Old Testament? So some say that you're Elijah, and others, maybe you're just one of the prophets. And Jesus, verse 29, he says, that's, that's good. Not, not correct, but okay, I get it. Like, I can, I can kind of see where they get that. But you know what? I'm not too concerned about what they think right now. I'm actually a little more concerned about what you think. And so Jesus asked them this question. He says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, Peter answered him and he said, you, you are the Christ. You are the Christ. And of course, Peter is correct, isn't he? I mean, it's Jesus. He is the Christ. He is the Savior. He's the, the Messiah. He says, Peter, he, he, he gets it right. He says, you are the Christ, which is the correct answer. And so as the rest of the disciples, as they hear what Jesus, uh, or what Peter says to Jesus, they, they get this perspective, and their perspective starts to sort of shift a little bit by what Jesus says to them. Next, look at verse 31. It says this, and it says, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly. Now, this is really important because what Jesus does is Jesus lays out for them as plainly as we just read it. Jesus lays out for them and says, here's what's going to happen in a few days. I'm going to be put on trial. And I'm going to be falsely accused of things. And they're going to murder me. But I'm not going to stay dead. I'm going to, I'm going to come back in three days. I'm going to rise from the grave. I'm going to resurrect three days later. And the disciples, they're, they're listening to Jesus say this, and he said it just as plainly as I just said it to you. You cannot misunderstand what I just said. You could not misunderstand what Jesus just said. And Peter gets mad. Peter's mad now. He's like, whoa, no, 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 no. Ain't nobody going to kill you. Like, they're going to kill me before they kill you. Listen to what Peter says. It says, Peter rebuked Jesus. He took him aside. He pulls him out of the rest of the, of the 12, and he pulls him to the side, and he's like, Jesus, listen, like, here's the deal, man. Like, um, it ain't going down like that, brother. Like, I, you can't die. Like, that's not the way this is supposed to go. And Jesus, Jesus rebukes Peter. I mean, it's a bad day when you get called Satan by Jesus, right? I mean, that's, that's bad, right? It says, turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and he said, get behind me, Satan. Now, I don't know that he was like talking to Satan specifically. I, I don't know what Jesus necessarily, I just know that it's a bad day for Peter, right? Like, he's just like, dude, you better step off is what he was saying. It says, for you are not setting, this is so important, he says, you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. He's telling Peter, this is what you want, it's not what I want. You need to change your perspective. And so the next thing that Jesus does is so good, because what Jesus does next is he, is he gets the rest of the disciples. He's like, all right, all right. So he kind of 
pulls Peter, you know, back to the rest of the 12, and he gets the rest of the 12 together. He's like, all right, everybody. And there's this crowd that's following Jesus, because everywhere Jesus went, there was always a big crowd. And so Jesus probably, like, hops up on a rock, or maybe runs up on top of a little hill, and he, like, yells out to everybody. He's like, all right, everybody, everybody come here for a minute. He says, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he's like, everybody come here. I got to talk to you. This is really, really important. You need to get this. This is so important. I got to set some things straight. Listen to what he says to the crowd, to the disciples, ultimately to us. So in calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, translation, if, if, if anyone of you wants to continue to follow me, he says, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? In other words, Jesus says, what what good does it do for you to be comfortable, to have everything that you've ever wanted, riches, wisdom, all of that stuff? What good does that going to, what's it going to do you if you lose your soul over it? He says, for what can a man give in return for his soul? And in other words, what Jesus says, he says, so what is your soul worth to you? Like, what are you going to give up? What's it worth to you? He says, for what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. And so essentially what Jesus is telling his disciple is this. You love me, you want to follow me, and you're going to have to deny yourself. And so, so what does that mean? It means that we must want Jesus more than we want our comforts, our desires, or whatever it is that we want for ourselves. We have to say no to ourselves and yes to Jesus. That's what it means to deny ourselves. And Jesus says, so if you want to follow me, you want to come after me, you want to, you want to do this thing that I'm doing... You're going to have to say no to what is comfortable to you. Things might get a little uncomfortable. Things might get a little crazy. But not only that, he says, you also have to, you're going to have to die to yourself. He says, you're going to have to pick up a cross. And that's what Jesus was saying. He says, you're going to have to deny yourself. You're going to have to die to self. 9.23, Jesus actually says it this way. He says, you have to die daily because it's almost a daily thing, is it not, to die to self? Like, it's a struggle. And, like, we have a God who understands and gets that and knows that. Like, he is not unaware of the struggle that it is to walk through this life. Like, he gets it. So it's like a daily thing of dying to self. And then he says, follow me. Pick up a cross and follow me. And so it means that we have to live this life out in the open in front of others to show others Jesus. Now, here's the thing. The life that Christ calls us to, there is nothing, there is nothing safe about it. When I, when I read the Bible, I think a lot of times we read the Bible a lot of times and we think, we, we, or we think to ourselves, man, I'm so glad that, I, I'm so glad that I, I, I didn't live back then and had to follow Jesus that way. 
I don't know that he really means it any differently now. There's nothing safe sometimes about it. And safe can come in many different forms. But it's what he calls us to. It's what he calls us to. And so our desire, our desire, my desire, is that we will know Jesus and that we will love him with all of our hearts and that we will, we will commit ourselves to denying ourselves, dying to self, and, and following him wherever it is that he leads us. And so how do we do that? Like how... How can we as a church, how can we help you do that? How can we do that together collectively? Because you might be thinking about some of this. You might think to yourself, you've been following Jesus for a long time. And you might think, man, this kind of seems elementary and it's a little surfacey for me. Like, like I, you know what? I'm here because I want something deep. See, deep is only relevant to application. And so if, if you're clamoring for something that is a little more deep, I would just ask you simply this. How much of this are you actually applying? I know there's a lot that I still have left to, to learn as well as apply. And so if you want deep, start applying what you know. And that's when, that's when you'll go deeper. Christ will open up things for you. You'll see things, experience things, do things. Be a part of things that you never would have imagined yourself being a part of. So before you totally blow this off, I just want to ask you this question. Are, are you fully engaging in these areas? Are you fully engaging and denying yourself and dying to self and following him, listening to his voice and, and, and doing whatever it is that he leads you to? And so again, our desire is for you to love Jesus with your whole heart and for that to flow out of you toward others. And so here at Ridge Church, we purposely do some things to, to help you in those areas, to help me, to help all of us together in those areas. And I just want to share two of those with you today, and, and, and then we'll close. But the first one is this. It's uh, Christ-centered worship. Christ-centered worship. Now, I'm going to put a number on the screen, and I want you to think about this number for just a second. Scotty, you can't answer this time. Scotty got it right last time. 102455. Anybody know what that number is? I, I know Rochelle knows it. Wait, anybody else know? 102455. Well, it happens to be, if you don't know, it's the seating capacity in one of the world's largest worship venues. In a few weeks, 102,455 people, probably plus some, are going to gather in that place to do one thing, to worship, to worship, to rejoice, probably mourn too, but um, certainly worship. Every one of us, every one of us is going to worship. Now, you may not worship there. You may choose another venue to worship in. It may be something else. It may be actually in front of your TV screen. Do you know where that 102455 is? in Neyland Stadium. Good job, Gene. It's in Neyland Stadium. And so in a few weeks, there'll be a lot of worship that's taking place there. Every one of us, every one of you, me, you, every, even if 
you're not a follower of Christ, you, hear me when I say this, you were created to worship. God made you and put you together, and part of what he has put inside of you to come out of you is worship. Even if you don't worship the creator God, you were created to worship, and so because of that, you will find a way, something, someone, somehow to worship. Even if it's screaming our heads off at 19-year-olds to catch a ball or to knock somebody's heads off, like, you're going to worship. The problem isn't that we worship. That's not the problem. In the right perspective, games, football, sports, all of those things, they're fun. I love them. I can't wait. But in the wrong perspective, we will worship something of way lesser value than what we were intended to actually worship. In fact, Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 1. You don't have to turn there. It'll be on the screen. But in Romans 1, verse 21, Paul puts it this way. He puts it in really good perspective for us. He says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And look at verse 25. He says, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever and ever. Amen. It's all about perspective. Now, isn't that what Jesus was telling his uh, his followers, his disciples, he, he was giving them perspective. He was changing and reorienting their perspective. And so when we gather here on Sunday, our job, one of the things that we do to help you be a more um, a growing follower of Christ is through Christ-centered worship and having our perspective pointed in the right place to have our hearts and our affections pointed at Christ to reorient those things to its proper perspective. And so we want to sing songs that are rooted in Scripture and paint an accurate, an accurate picture of who Jesus is. That's why we pick the songs that we pick. It's why we sing the songs that we sing. We want to sing songs that are about the character and nature of God to, one, inflame our hearts, but also to inform our minds. Another way to put it is that we want to incite and we want to, to teach and so the songs that we pick out here, our worship leaders, our, our, our band, and, and myself and some of the other pastors, like when we look at these songs, a lot of times as I'm looking at the lyrics of these songs, like I'm matching scripture with each line to each song, and I'm pointing it out in the Bible in my head as I'm going through those things and making sure that it's painting an accurate picture of who Jesus is about his character and his nature, because that's what we want you to experience. We want it to inflame your heart. We want you to, to be filled with the Spirit through these things. We want it to also just incite you, but we also want it to teach you about who Jesus is. That's why we're not singing, like, you know, songs by Drake. Kiki will be all right. She can wait. But, but like, if you want to go to church and hear Taylor Swift songs, this ain't the place. All right? We're going to point our hearts and our eyes and our attention to Jesus. Taylor Swift's got her own worship service. You can go pay 500 bucks and go do that. You can come here for free. All right? So there's that. But that's what we want to do. We want to set our hearts and yours, the creator, 
created. And if we will make much of Jesus together, something, listen, something profound will happen in us and through us spiritually. So we want focused, passionate, sometimes even loud worship to carry us to a picture of Christ. To respond to him for all that he is, for all that he has done, for all that he's going to do. Because that's what worship is. Worship is a response to God. So this is important in our pursuit of, of loving Jesus and living it out. It's important for us. In other ways, it informs about who God is, and other times it instructs you, and yet other times it just inspires you to want more of Jesus. And so the first thing is Christ-centered worship. The second thing is Christ-centered teaching. Psalm 119, 105 says this. You guys know this. Uh, it says, your word is a lamp to my feet. Your, your, uh, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path, right? And so, like, we've heard that before, but, like, when you think about it, like, what it really truly means, and, and think about it in the context of what we're talking about, Christ-centered teaching, like, the word of God, the scriptures, it is just that. It is a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path, meaning that it paints the way for us. It shows us. It lights things up for us. Charles Spurgeon once said this in one of his sermons. He says, you do not really preach the gospel if you leave Christ out. If he is omitted, it is not the gospel. You may invite men to listen to your message, but you are only inviting them to gaze upon an empty table unless Christ is the very center and substance of all that you set before them. And so just like worship, just like worship, we want to begin with the scriptures. One of the things that, that we don't do here... This may be just too much detail for you, but it's just true. One of the things that we don't do here is we don't go, okay, what's a topic that we want to preach on? Now let's find some scripture to match up to it so that we can make it say what it wants to say. Instead, we actually just open the Bible and it goes, what, what does the Bible say? Okay, that's where we're going. And sometimes it's, it's uncomfortable. Sometimes it's uncomfortable for me to say. Sometimes it's uncomfortable for you to hear. But it's always, almost always uncomfortable, uh, uncomfortable for us to, to live out. So we let the scriptures dictate where we go, what we say, and it informs all that we do. So our plan each week is to, to open this book, to proclaim the good news of Jesus, called the gospel, lay it out before us and plead with the Holy Spirit to invade our hearts and change us from the inside out. And so we are going to be faithful to the teaching and the proclamation that we need you and ourselves to be faithful to hear and to apply and then let the Holy Spirit be faithful to change us from the inside out. So let me ask you this question. Could you, could you worship with more passion? Could you worship with the same passion that we, that we worship in a football stadium or a basketball arena or a soccer field or wherever it is? Could we, could we worship with that same passion pointed toward not the created but to the creator? You see, because God is the giver of all of those things. Those are not necessarily bad things. It's our perspective on those things. Could we worship with the proper perspective? Could we study the scriptures a little deeper? And could we apply them a little further in our lives?
See, if we're not doing these things in the deepest of manners, then we still have a ways to go. Because that's what's deep. That's what's deep. Have you ever, um, we've all done this, but have you ever taken, a, you know, like a button-up shirt and you start to put, put the buttons together? How many of you start from the top? Top down. All right. Who's bottom up? Bottom up. All right. That's, isn't that funny? Like some of us go, that's kind of funny. I don't know why that's funny, Matt. It's funny. <clears throat> I don't know if I've ever really thought about where I, I think I'm bottom up. I think I, anyway, so yeah. <laughs> Chris is a middle guy. <laughs> Chris, nope, new shirt. <laughs> You ever, you, you ever buttoned your shirt up and got to wherever it is that you're going and somebody's like, hey, bro, like uh, your shirt's like missed, you're off a little bit. You ever, anybody ever got their shirt, their buttons off a little bit? Like, but it, you know where that starts? It starts with the first button. Like if you get the first one off, you don't match that one up right. You get it, you kind of get it twisted a little bit. You miss the first button. Like everything else is off, isn't it? See, this is foundational. It's like we don't want to get off here. We don't want to get off here because everything from this point, everything from this place, what Jesus said here to his disciples and those that were around him that day when he said, you have to deny yourself, you have to die to yourself, and if you're going to follow me, you're going to follow me and it's going to be uncomfortable. Like if we get that wrong, if we get off there, everything else in your relationship with Christ is going to be off because there's going to be a lot of things that just don't make sense. So our job, my job as your pastor, our job as a church, for us to help you and to help each other get that first button right so that everything else starts to make a little more sense. 